So, two months ago about, right, you started to get your first Christmas cards. One of the first Christmas cards that was sent to Jackie and I was, opened it up, and it said, May the joy and the peace and the love of Christmas fill your home at this time of the year. And I thought, there's three points, but they left out hope. I want hope. So I said, well, there's my Christmas sermon this year. May the joy, peace, hope, and love of Christmas fill your hearts and your lives. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So for joy, we're going to go to Luke 2, 8 through 16. The story of the shepherds in the fields. Now there were... In the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were greatly afraid, as everybody is when they see the glory of God. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, as God always says whenever He comes to us, because we are afraid, and we should be afraid. But He's a loving Father. And He comes not to destroy, but to heal and forgive and redeem. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, and there it is, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So we're going to talk about that great joy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. So we're going to talk about peace. Goodwill towards men. There you go. There's your definition. Peace. Goodwill towards men. Hmm. New King James, huh? You know what it says in the Hebrew, or in, no, not in the Hebrew, in the Greek, right? Good will, actually it says peace towards those with whom God is pleased. I don't know if King James was so good at his Calvinism election or if his translators were as Calvinist as you are. Because if he would have been, he would have translated that a little better and talked about election because it's right there in that text. The peace isn't for everybody. The peace is for those with whom God is pleased. Those whom he chose in Jesus Christ. So anyway, we got joy and we got peace there. We better go find hope. Romans 15:13. Of course, you can find it all over the place. So, but you didn't want me to read the whole Bible. You actually wanted me to preach to you. So, Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Well, how is it that they get them all in the same text? They must be really important. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now where, boys and girls, would I go to find love? 
What's the first text that would come to your mind if you were to preach about the love of God? How about John 3.16? God so loved. He so loved that he gave. Oh, that must be the definition of love. To give. Not to take. Not to use. Not to abuse. Not to be attracted to so that it helps you. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, so there we go. We got it. Joy, peace, hope, and love. Now I'm sure that you know that when a word is used in the Bible, and especially the great words in the Bible, like the ones we're looking at this morning, they are entirely different than they're the way they're used in the world. You figured that out by now, right? They have a whole different meaning. Because we're using the words in a different world. You know where the world lives? Here and now. Two-dimensional. Here and now. And especially here and now today, when we have cut it off from God. And especially today in secular humanism, where we only believe in materialism, and evolutionism, where everything comes from the material. And all that is real is what you can see, taste, touch, feel, and hear. Because you're an empiricist and a scientist. And that's all that's real. Two-dimensional. Here, now, limited by space and time. But you know there's another whole world, right? And our eyes have been opened to see it by faith. And that other world that exists is more real than this world. Because what do you know about this world? It is passing away. So by faith, you see the unseen as more real than the seen and is more lasting. Because it's based on the ultimate reality and who is reality. Who's the ultimate real? Who's the ultimate reality from which all other reality came? His name is God. So we're talking about the world of God and of angels and of a new heaven and a new earth and of spirituality. And it will be physical, but it will be spiritually physical. In fact, you're going to be raised with a spiritual body, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because this body will go to the grave and you'll be raised with a new body. I believe in the resurrection of the body, but it's a spiritual body. I haven't figured that out yet. I don't think we can because we haven't seen what God has prepared for those who believe. Okay, so because we live in a three-dimensional world, when we use words, they have an entirely different, greater, absolute meaning. So, boys and girls, I understand that you have a blank piece of paper. Oh, there it is. All right, you got your pencil out. You got your salt for him, though? Lay it on there. Take that pen out. Check if it works. Write down four points, right? What are they? Joy, peace, hope, love. Definition of joy. Number one, world's definition of joy. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. What does it mean? A feeling of great pleasure. 
Joy equals a feeling, underline that, of great pleasure or happiness. All right? It's a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. How many of you are going to have a great feeling today because you're football fans? Good. I'm glad nobody is. But if you were, it happens to be the playoffs, right? And the Buccaneers are going to play the Green Bay Packers. And let's see, who's the other guy? Malone, is he going to get to play? He had a concussion. I don't know if he's going to get to play or not. But anyway, he plays for Kansas City, and they're playing somebody else. Anyway, you might have some joy today. If your team wins, it'll be a temporary fleeting feeling because they might get slaughtered next week or two weeks from today in the Super Bowl. If you're a sports fan, so joy is a temporary feeling based upon present circumstances which are constantly changing so your joy is not so stable. And that's the way it is in the world. You know, one of the greatest joyful events in my life, I was born in 1950. It took place when I was 30 years old, February 22, 1980. Anybody remember that date? Come on. Nobody remembers February 2, 1980. We're in the midst of the Cold War with Russia. It's the Lake Placid New York Olympics. Somehow, some of America's brightest and best college graduates and, and maybe a little more playing club hockey are going to take on the professional Russian hockey team that has never been defeated. That's going to take place at the Olympics. And we are in the midst of the Cold War with Russia where there are sworn enemies. And Khrushchev has pounded his shoe upon his pulpit and said, We will bury you. And we went through the missile crisis. And those are tough days for America because we really believe Russia is great, even though the people in Russia can't understand. The normal people in Russia, they go, What a... Of course, they're hearing nothing but propaganda. And you know what that is because you've heard it for a whole year now. All right. So we're in the midst of the Cold War, and a few young American boys beat the Russians for the Olympic gold, and there's joy. How much joy? Well, here, it's 40 years later, right? 80 plus 40 is 20, 20, 20. Hey, I still remember it. Now, that joy isn't so temporary, but it's still pretty temporary because there was a baby born in Bethlehem 2,020 years ago. And he brought joy that never passes away. One-third of all the people on the earth think they're Christians, say they're Christians. They are professing that their entire life is joyful because of that event that took place in a manger in Bethlehem 2,020 years ago. So you got the idea? The world's joy is temporary and fleeting because it's based on the changing circumstances, and you won't remember what you were happy about a week later. But if you have joy in Jesus, it changes every moment of your life for eternity. Now that's joy. Deep down rooted joy that dominates your life and your feelings because 
A Savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord, and you have been saved from an eternal punishment in hell and been given an inheritance which is unfading, incorruptible, and eternal. Now that's joy. Okay, you got those two definitions down, boys and girls? A fleeting feeling of happiness versus a deep-rooted condition in which you live based on real news that changed the real world for eternity. You see, Jesus was born at the beginning of time. No. Jesus was promised at the beginning of time, born in the middle of time, to change eternity. Now that's joy. Biblical joy is deep-rooted, lasting state of being that we experience every moment knowing that a Savior has been born. He has indeed defeated our three worst enemies. He's defeated Satan, who would destroy you. He's defeated your sinful heart by being regenerated in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and giving you a new heart. And he's defeated your last enemy, death, because he's given you eternal life. Our joy knows no limits. Jesus said, John 15:11, I have told you these things so that you may, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That is perfect. That means lacks nothing. That is absolutely perfect. And and forever and unfading, uncorrupted, eternal, waiting to be revealed at any moment is that inheritance. Complete joy. The angel said, we bring to you good news. Now, now there's some really good news. I mean, there is news worth reporting. The Son of God has come to earth to be a Savior. Great joy. In a world lost in sin where all the news is pretty much bad, we can have a wonderful Christmas. We can have a wonderful today. We can have a wonderful tomorrow. We can have a wonderful every day as we wait for a new heaven and a new earth. That's joy. You got it? Now, maybe you're having steak. I hear they still have steak in Iowa. I only eat moose and caribou, salmon, halibut. But if you have a good steak, you marinate it. Before you grill it, then you don't have to put Heinz 57 or anything else on it. I want you to marinate your life in joy. So it completely changes the flavor of your life. Marinate it in the joy of Jesus so that you show the joy of Jesus every day. All right? Number two. May you have the peace of Christmas. Only a few of us can remember World War II. I can't remember it. I didn't live there. But I have a man in my congregation who wrote his diary of marching through Italy, headed towards Germany. He shuffles today. He doesn't really walk. But he can remember. He can remember D-Day, and he can remember V-E Day. I had, you have probably, heard the stories from some of your Dutch ancestors who might have lived in the Netherlands at the time that they were freed. The day 
the hour, the moment they remember it. They remember the moment when the sirens and the bells rang in their cities and they went and they got that flag from the Netherlands that they hid between the mattresses and they brought it out and they ran out on the streets and they shouted, Freedom from Germany! We're free! Peace! Earthly peace is valuable. It's a good thing. But it's really nothing compared to the peace that you and I have that passes understanding in Jesus Christ. Worldly peace, again, is a temporary thing. How many wars are going on right now? I don't think we can count them on both fingers. I mean, we're at a cyber war with Russia. They just did a a very manipulative attack. China, North Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran... This world's not at peace. It's never been at peace since the day Adam and Eve ate themselves out of the garden. There is no peace. And yet we all want peace. But the peace we have in this world is, again, temporary. can be taken away in a moment. But the peace that passes understanding that comes from Jesus Christ is a fourfold peace as it restores us in four different ways, and it's eternal Who's the most unpeaceful person in the Bible? Well, I just picked one out, for example, Mark chapter 5. His name is Gadarene Demoniac, and he's described this way. Night and day he was in the mountains and among the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I've met a lot of those people. Yeah. I worked in a psychiatric institution while I went to Calvin Seminary. It's called Pine Rest. I worked there with a lot of unpeaceful people. They weren't at peace with themselves. They didn't have any contentment. They were deeply troubled. When Jesus comes, he brings peace. I worked in the prison system for 15 years as a volunteer in Montana and California, along with being the pastor of churches there. I saw a lot of unpeaceful people. Very troubled. You know the worst day in the prison system? Father's Day. That's the one thing they have in common. They didn't have a father. They didn't have a father to teach them how to obey authority. They didn't have a father to teach them about real responsibility and real authority and how it's used to serve. And so they hated authority. They hated themselves because they're under authority. God's authority if no other. So they weren't at peace either. But Jesus can bring peace with yourself. Do any of you have brothers and sisters? Have you ever fought with your brother and sister? That's not peaceful. Jesus can fix that. He can. He will. He can bring perfect peace between people. He can take away all your selfishness, and you can become selfless, and you can become a servant, and you can live. You can die to yourself and live to others. So that's part of the peace that Jesus can give us. Oh, and what about nature? Was Adam and Eve in the garden afraid of the bears? No. Are you going to be afraid of the bears in heaven? No, it says that uh, the bear's going to lie down with the calf and the lion with the lamb and little children are going to play over the hole of the poisonous snakes and there will be peace even as the waters fill the oceans. 
peace with nature and creation, and most importantly, peace with God. Wow. A clear conscience. No unfinished business between people and no unfinished business with God. You know, I buried a man about five years ago. He told his live-in, and he wasn't married to her, he said, you have to leave the room now because I think I'm going to die in about an hour. And I got some things I have to talk about with somebody. I mean, this man hadn't been in church for 40 years. He didn't profess to be a Christian. Never talked to us about his spirituality. But you know what? There are no atheists. My brother died. Or no, he didn't die. The guy next to him died in the hospital. He had worked with him at the university as a professor for many years, and he was an avowed atheist. Guess how he died? Shaking his fist at a God he professed he didn't believe existed. You know, one of the four things they train the hospice nurses to do, even secular hospice nurses, They train them to talk about with their clients the life after death. Well, we don't worry about it, do we? We welcome it. If Jesus takes me home today, praise God, no more pain. Not praise God, no more work, because there's going to be better work in heaven. I won't be near as frustrated. I won't ever have to preach a sermon twice because they'll hear it the first time. All those things. Peace with God, our Creator and our Judge. Paul says a peace beyond understanding because it's eternal peace covers everything. A permanent, wonderful, eternal condition beyond the ability to comprehend That's the definition of peace from the biblical perspective. Some people say that's too good to be true. Well, it's not because there was a baby born in Bethlehem who was called the Prince of Peace. He was also called the only way, truth, and life. And through him you can have peace with God, with your fellow man, with yourself, and with all creation. And may you indeed know the peace of Christmas that the angels proclaimed, peace on earth with whom God is pleased. All right, hope. We've got to keep moving. Now, worldly hope is the most unlike biblical hope of all of those words. I mean, this one doesn't even come close. When you talk about worldly hope, what are you talking about? Write down, boys and girls. Hope equals a wish. Hope equals a desire. Now, how sure are you that that desire is going to come true? When you graduate today, it's, you know, it's popular for the speakers to say, you can do anything you want to. You can be anybody. There's nothing impossible for you. Well, I'm sorry. It's not true. But you might have your own dreams your own hopes, your own wishes, the probabilities of those coming true is, uh, you know, according to how wise you made your hope and your desire. 
But there's a complete difference when you hope in Christ. Because it is 100% absolutely certain and sure. As sure as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as sure as Jesus walked the shores of the Sea of Galilee, as sure as Jesus walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee, as sure as Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, buried, and rose again, and He's coming again to send the heavens, so sure is your hope. It's based on historical facts. It's based on the God-man Savior, Redeemer, and Mediator. Jesus said to His disciples, If I go away, I will come back to take you to be with Myself. Our hope is as sure as the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and seated in a physical body behind the veil in the ultimate presence of God at His right hand and is ruling the world. That's how sure our hope is. The world's hopes and wishes are founded on this passing age. Even if your worldly hopes come true in this age, this age and everything in it is passing away. In this world we have hopes that may or may not become temporary reality for a while, but in Christ we have a certain hope that is reality and will be fully revealed for all eternity. When Jesus came down from heaven to earth, He came to establish our greatest hope. And He did. Our hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul give way. He then is all my hope and stay. During the summer, I like to go fishing. I got a boat. It goes out in the ocean. We catch big fish. Halibut and salmon. I'm not inviting you all, but, you know, if you get there, give me a call. If i got time, maybe. Who knows? I do have seven brother, six brothers and two sisters, however, and they come. But we go fishing in the summer, and we go maybe 25, 30 miles away from the port. It takes a lot of gas. So we stay overnight so we can fish two days with one tank of gas. Which means my poor wife has to sleep on the water. So we find a quiet little bay tucked behind big rocks so the ocean waves don't wash us away. And then we figure out the tide. Alaska has the second biggest tides in the world, only second to the Bay of Bundy. So when we anchor the boat, we have to know whether we're at high tide or low tide because if we're at low tide and I don't put out enough rope, the anchor will float and will float away during the night when I'm sound asleep. And if it's at high tide and I put out too little rope, or I mean if too much water goes away when I wake up in the morning, the boat's upside down on the rocks. My wife doesn't sleep near as good as I do in that boat because she's afraid the anchor won't hold. Well, I have an anchor, not in my boat. 
but I have an anchor in my life that holds fast. And you can read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Based on Hebrews chapter 11. Where Jesus enters in behind the veil and He is the anchor of your soul. Because He sits before the face of the Father in a human body. He's taken your human body as your brother before the face of God. And therefore you have already been raised with Christ and you're already with Him and your citizenship is there and He's the head of the body and you're the church and you are guaranteed to be there. That is your hope in Jesus Christ. You don't have a clock in this church. you got to be the only church without a clock. Every church has big clocks that tell the minister they have to quit. Oh, there it is. Do I have to quit yet? All right. Love. This is like an accordion, right? I mean, you can talk on love for days and months. And you can try to get it into ten minutes. I mean, God is love. God so loved. I mean, why did God make you? Why did He make people? He didn't have to make people. God is love in Himself. He didn't need to create people to love people. He didn't need someone to love. Why? Because our God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Father and Son loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son. And there was a beautiful communion of fellowship and communication, and they didn't need anything and anybody. Well, then why did He create us? Because He's love. As it says in the Belgian Confession, He's the overflowing fountain of life. Love gives God created because He's the overflowing fountain of life and of love. And He wanted to extend the love and the fellowship of the Trinity to another being which He created in His own image to enjoy and worship Him forever. And that's the meaning of your life. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's why you're here. You are the most privileged people on this planet because you know where you came from. You know why you're here. You know where you're going. And you know how to get there. 90% of the people in the world don't know that. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and all knowledge. Because if you don't know the first three words of the Bible, you don't know anything. In the beginning, God. All right, love. Greater love has no one than this, that they should lay down their life for another. That's what Jesus did. He gave up heaven to come to earth so that you could again love. He showed you God's love so you could take God's love. The love that He pours into your heart that's overflowing and you could give it to others freely. 
You could love, what's the new commandment? John 13, 34. This is the new commandment I've given to you, that you love others even as I have loved you. How come that's new? Didn't it say in the Old Testament that you love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, but it didn't say love even as I loved you. Jesus came and he showed us what love was in the flesh by dying for us in the flesh, giving his life for us. And now that love is poured into your heart so it can overflow. The world doesn't know what love is. The world can't even love. What do we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism? We by nature hate our neighbor and we hate God. Why? Because we love ourselves only. We're born selfish little rascals who are lawless and disobedient. And that's why you have to listen to your parents because they're going to stand before God and he's going to ask him, how'd you do in training that little guy and that little girl? Your greatest enemy is your own little sinful heart. That's why Jesus said you have to crucify yourself. Take up his cross and follow him. All right. Can we live a life of love? Yes, we can. How? By staying connected to the source. Abide in me and in my love and in my word. And you will produce great faith and great faith works. The Holy Spirit is the power within you to complete the law or at least have a small beginning in this world. So, love. Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. The gospel compels me. I'm a gospel-driven person. I'm a love-driven person. I don't burn diesel fuel or gasoline. I am burning. A flame in my heart is the love of God. John Calvin wrote the book, A Flame. Hearts aflame with the love of God to God and to neighbor. Now that's what love's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. And so have a wonderful new year. Have a wonderful new year and just marinate yourself in the joy and the peace and the hope and the love of God in Christ Jesus. And tonight, who are we as Christians in America in 2021? It's a new world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to take your word, to take your word of peace, and of hope, and of joy, and to take your expressed love, and that we may live abundantly, now already and for eternity, in the full biblical meaning of those words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.